we're very, very thankful for the vestry. And I just want to say, um, and as we've been having conversations over the last couple of weeks, that we have like really tangible ways um, that the vestry is coming along to support staff in this kind of interim period or transition period, as we're calling it. Um, and just feel very hopeful by that and just thankful like that there are, you know, these folks who are serving our church in such a way to say like, we see you staff, we see what's happening and how can like we come alongside you in some really tangible ways. And um, so, yeah, just want to just want to mention that it is a threefold plan. So it is not um, it ha- it's, it's varied and, and thorough. And so we're very thankful. Um, I also want to say too, just as I've been like praying and thinking um, the last couple of weeks, just. Like, just so thankful for all of you um, and just your willingness to kind of sit in uncertainty for an extended amount of time. Like, that's not an easy thing for any of us to do. Um, And so just, you know, like, just feel so thankful for this community and just how people are really, like, bought in and engaged, taking ownership where need be. Um, It's not not always common. Um, And so it is just something that we don't don't take for granted, um, but we just feel so thankful to each one of you. As I was praying um, a couple weeks ago, as we were getting ready to like talk to staff, I was like, kind of, I was driving, I was praying and um, just praying for the church and praying for our vestry, praying for our, our staff in general. And this image just kind of came to me, or memory for me came um, in the in the midst of that of that I shared with our staff later, which was um, before we were leaving to go to England. We moved to England for a year, a couple about ten years ago. Our oldest daughter was three at the time, and so trying to sort of prepare her for that transition was interesting um, and also enlightening because it kind of made me slow down and have to, like, think about how I was feeling about this transition. But one of the things that, like, we sat in for a while was, like, she, you know, was, like, excited about this sort of new adventure, and but also sad um, because, like, she was sad to, like, leave our house and leave our family and our friends and things that were familiar and, and I remember being like, yeah, like, I feel that way too. Um, and I thought about, like, this season kind of feels, like, this moment of the season feels that way a little bit. Like, this sense of feeling, you know, maybe some sadness or grief about, like, all the changes that have happened over the last couple of years. And also yet a sense of hope of, like, a new season to come. And it's, like, okay to feel both of those things at the same time. And so I just want to just want to say that to us, like, as a community. Like, we can feel both of those at the same time, and that's okay. Um, and I think, the, and the Lord is in that. He meets us in that. So that is, um, that is like my prayer for us in, the, in this moment, that God would just help us to, to be able to um, engage with him in the complexity. All right, so um, our text for this morning, um, we're, we are still in Matthew 13. <laughs> I, I say still. I say that because, like, we were going to talk about this last week. So for me, we're still in Matthew 13, um, which is Jesus talking about through the parables. And so um, last week, we, or the last couple weeks, like, we talked about the generous sower, if you remember, like, several weeks ago, Benjamin preached on that. And then the week, week after, we talked about the patient sower. Um, this week, we're going to continue in that space of Jesus talking through these parables. Um, and this week, it, we kind of, he focuses in on what the kingdom of heaven is like. So let's read our passage for today, and then we will pray, and we'll jump into the text. So this is Matthew 13, starting in verse 31. So he, Jesus, put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all the seeds, 
But when it has grown, it is the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. And then we skip down to uh, verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which someone found and hid. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. On finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that is thrown into the sea and caught fish of every kind. When it was full, they drew it ashore, sat down, and put the good into baskets, but threw out the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fire, furnace of fire, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. We thank you, Jesus, for giving us visions of the kingdom of heaven. We thank you, Jesus, for giving us visions of our true home. And we pray, God, for your, uh, your grace to be able to see it, your grace to be able to recognize it, your grace to be true citizens of heaven, to be with us now as we open your word, as we sit in your word, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so as we said, all of these parables begin the same way. The kingdom of heaven is like. And so I think it's important that we sit first in, in this question of why is it important for Jesus to tell us what the kingdom of heaven is, is like? Like why, why does he need to kind of spell it out for us? Like these parables give us a picture of something that is familiar and yet foreign at the same time. Like it's kind of like we get it and yet we don't get it. It's something hidden, as it says in verse 35. The kingdom of heaven is meant to be our home and yet sin mars that experience for us. So living in this fallen world makes the kingdom not seem as natural to us as it should. So what Jesus does in this moment is that he takes these kind of normal things, these, nor these normal parts of life, as a way to describe to us the reality of the kingdom. And so five times he says here, the kingdom of heaven is like, and then he spells it out. It's like a mustard seed. It's like yeast. It's like a treasure, a pearl, a net, casting fish of all kinds, catching fish of all kinds. So it's taking these everyday things and then making us see them a little differently. It seems like these different parables can actually be grouped together. So we're going to kind of look at them in three different groups. The first two about the mustard seed and yeast. The point seems to be here that the kingdom of heaven can be, mis can be underestimated, can be misunderstood, can be missed even, maybe even not seen. Seen as insignificant. So the mustard seed being the smallest of all seeds. Yeast being hidden in the midst of a lot of flour. Therefore, easily missed or underestimated. Yet, somehow, this is the kingdom of heaven. But how can that be? If the kingdom of heaven is the most real thing that there ever is, 
How in the world could it be overlooked or seen as being insignificant? How could it actually be hidden? Such is the mystery of the kingdom. And yet, that is exactly what Jesus is telling us here. That if we're not paying attention, we can miss it. That it may look different than we think it will. And so, if we take these parables seriously, what are we meant to see? What I think these parables are calling us to see is the significance of what seems insignificant. Right? To see the significance of what seems insignificant. And so, I want us to take a moment of reflection. A a minute to like kind of talk to the Holy Spirit and invite Him to show us the kingdom where we may otherwise miss it. So I really like, want us to have a moment of quiet. And in that moment, I just want you to sit and to think about your life. Think about our community, our world. And just ask the question, what is something that seems small or insignificant? Is there a person that you know or in your life who doesn't hold much power, who doesn't have a lot of influence? Is there something that's happening around you that wouldn't gain headlines seems small, and yet may have some kind of kingdom impact. Let's just take a few moments to sit with the Holy Spirit and ask Him to show us the kingdom, something of kingdom significance that we might miss otherwise. So I just invite you just to be comfortable. Open yourself to the Holy Spirit and ask for Him to reveal to you something around you that, you should, that He doesn't want you to miss. Thank you, Lord. Amen. As I've thought about this, kind of sat with it, one of the things that came to mind for me is um, the idea of interruptions. So if you look at the story of Jesus and the life of Jesus, like Jesus was getting interrupted all the time, right? And by things that may or may not, like something significant and maybe others that might not have seemed as significant. And yet, like that is where his ministry lay, Right? In, being, in, in responding to these different interruptions that came into, in, into his orbit. So one of the ones that, like, I feel like it's just one of the ones I just love so much um, is when Jesus is, like, on his way. I don't even know where he's going, but, like, Jairus, the, the leader of the synagogue, comes to him and says, my, my daughter has died. Can you come and do something about it? And so Jesus, like, heads that way. I mean, the leader of the synagogue, right? Let's think about power here. The leader of the synagogue has come to him and asked something of him, and so he goes to do it. While he is on his way to, to like meet this need of this powerful person, this woman who's been bleeding for 12 years, which means that she has been excommunicated from the community, she can't be part of community, she's in isolation, has chosen to take a real step of faith 
and not just enter into where the community is, but also choosing to touch someone, touch a man, and also a rabbi. But she's going to do it incognito, right? She's not going to call attention to herself. Why? Because of the shame that would come with that. So this woman reaches her hand out to just touch the hem of Jesus' garment. And when she does, he feels the power go out of him. Now, Jesus could have done a lot of things, right? I mean, he's on, a, he's on a mission. He's got something important that he needs to do with an important person. And so he could have just kept on going, and she was still healed. She still would have been healed, but he didn't. He chose to stop. He chose to be interrupted by this woman of seemingly insignificance and to engage with her, to even call her daughter, thereby saying, you are still a part of this community not just healing her physically, but also socially, emotionally, meeting her where she was. And so this is the way that Jesus, like, just carried out his ministry. It's like he's in the midst of something, and then all of a sudden, like, the, you know, the roof gets torn apart, and all of a sudden, like, a, a guy who can't walk just drops from the ceiling. Like, I mean, like, in our, like, think about it in our imagination. Like, right now, in the midst, you know, of, it's like all of a sudden somebody drops from the ceiling and just interrupts what we're doing. And yet Jesus doesn't, like, feel angered by this or, like, put out by this, but instead, like, is able to attend to what is right in front of him. And I think that's such a beautiful image of the kingdom, this idea that the things that, get, that interrupt us may actually be invitations of the kingdom, may actually be, like, things of great significance, even if they don't look that way to us. So Nowen says this about interruptions. He says, don't we often look at the many events of our lives as big or small interruptions, interrupting many of our plans, projects, and life schemes? Don't we feel an inner protest when a student interrupts our reading, bad weather our summer, or illness our well-scheduled plans? And doesn't this unending row of interruptions build in our hearts feelings of anger, frustration, and even revenge, so much so that at times we see the real possibilities that growing old can become synonymous with growing bitter. But what if our interruptions are in fact our opportunities? If they are challenges to an inner response by which growth takes place and through which we come to the fullness of being? What if the events of our history are molding us as a sculptor molds his clay? And if it's only in a careful obedience to those molding hands that we can discover our real vocation, and become mature people. Huh. Right? <laughs> do y'all feel convicted? I do. <laughs> so there's nothing wrong with making plans, right? But in our culture, we can value achievement so much to the exclusion of the interruption, to the exclusion of the thing that may seem insignificant and yet could actually be the invitation of the Lord, could be the invitation of the kingdom, the way that the kingdom may be breaking in and we'll miss it because it seems to get in the way of the really, what we say is the really important stuff. And so I wonder for us, like even, you know, it's funny, like as I think y'all saw maybe on social media where we were saying like in the midst of like me preparing this sermon last week, we got interrupted by a power outage, right? Um, but what a, what a gift to like have a, a, like a moment to say, oh wait, this wasn't what we were planning. It's not what we were expecting this interruption, and yet, how is, the, how is the kingdom showing up? What's the invitation here for us? 
And I can say there were some real kingdom moments that happened outside in the parking lot last week. Praise be God that we couldn't have planned for. I pray for wherever you were, if you weren't able to be with us last week, but wherever you were in the midst of that interruption, the kingdom of heaven broke in and you're able to see things maybe that you wouldn't have been able to just in the day-to-day of life. I wonder about the big disruption of COVID. <laughs> That's like, you know, the thing we don't want to really think about and talk about, but like what, were the, what are the, the um, invitations there that we don't want to miss? I just like, I know we all just feel this like desire to just get back to normal, right? Can we just get back to normal? And yet heaven help us if we don't see the gift of a major disruption in our life that could, that can bring renewal, that can bring something new within our own lives and within the church. May it be so, Lord. Like give us eyes to see where the kingdom is, how it's breaking in, and how we can like stop and pay attention and, and work our lives around it. So those are the first two parables. The next two, it talks about the treasure and the pearl. So when we discover the kingdom, we see in these two parables, these two people recognize its immense value and must act or respond in some kind of sacrificial way. So when we experience the kingdom of heaven, we see its true value. And all else seems to pale in comparison. Suddenly, our lives are not the same. We see it in these two parables, this treasure and a pearl. A man finds a treasure in a field, and in his joy of finding this treasure, he sells everything that he has, and he buys the field. A merchant searches for a pearl and finds one of such value that he sells everything so he can buy just this one pearl. For both of these people, the trajectory of their lives are forever changed when they come in contact with the kingdom. And so this is our second point of reflection that I want us to have this morning. My question for you, and I want us to sit again just before the Holy Spirit, to ask, like, when is a time in your life when you can say that the trajectory of your life actually changed because of an encounter with God and the true value of the kingdom? And then ask the question, what does living sacrificially look like in your life? Not out of a sense of obligation or duty, but out of joy for how good God and the kingdom of God really is. And so can we just sit for a minute and ask the Holy Spirit to to kind of just bring our imagination into line with His. Lord, help us to see the value of your kingdom and respond to it. Out of joy, may we respond. One of the verses that kind of came up for me from this is Hebrews 12, 2, where it says that the joy that was set before Jesus, that it was for the joy that was set before Jesus that he endured the cross. 
that he was willing to sacrifice because of this joy of the kingdom that was set before him. This joy of what it would look like to be able to enfold us back into his kingdom. That that joy is what, he, is what led him to endure the cross. I think the idea of sacrifice has fallen on hard times in our culture. Like the only kind of um, I, like, thought that I could think of like just sort of culturally around us is maybe the idea of like an athlete who sacrifices a lot to gain success in a sport. But there aren't many other examples, I don't think, out there. Um, mainly if we just kind of say, if it doesn't feel good, then surely I am not meant to do it. I had a conversation with one of my kids the other day where um, she was saying, like, God just wants me to be happy, right? Um, and I think that's, like, a lot of our, our thought process a lot of the time is, like, well, God just wants me to be happy because that's kind of what our culture is telling us as well. So and she and I had, like, this great conversation to say that God's desire for us is really that we would be whole, that we would be people of substance who bend the blades of grass of heaven, that the fire can't burn up. And with that wholeness sometimes comes sacrifice. With that wholeness means having to like let God take things out of us that aren't, aren't right for us, aren't good for us, aren't for our best. And that can be a painful process sometimes, but that doesn't mean that it's bad. It means that he's making us people of substance. He's making us whole. Which I think leads us to the last parable the reality of the coming judgment, the point when the kingdom of heaven will become our reality and God will set everything right again. It's interesting to me that like this, in this parable, it's kind of a repeat of the end of the wheat and the, the weeds parable. Do you remember? Like kind of that sort of a parallel there of the angels coming in and deciding what's the good and what's the bad. And like the good is the righteous and is saved and then the bad goes um, to the, you know, where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Somehow I always get these passages, by the way. Um, <laughs> I'm like, why is I, do I get the weeping and gnashing of teeth passages? And, but part of it is, I just want to say, and I mean, I put it before you, I'm not totally sure what to do with it. Like I, I kind of grew up in, in a, a tradition where like the preacher always had a very strong conviction of what that meant and who was the good ones and who were the bad ones. And I have trepidation around that. So I just put that before you to say, I'm not totally sure what to do with those things. But the reality of the kingdom is that Jesus has made it possible for us to be people of the kingdom. That is the reality. That by his death and his resurrection, we are asked to respond to him and to be made new. To be made whole. And the reality is that not everyone will respond to his invitation. We don't like to think about the end of the age of God separating the good of evil, but these parables are about those who are paying attention and those who are living intentionally. The reality is, is that you can't change if you aren't paying attention. The reality is, is that we're, if we're not willing to let the kingdom of heaven change the trajectory of our lives, then we're not open to God making us whole and making us healed. So I think that's what Jesus is saying in these parables. He wants us to pay attention to the seemingly small and insignificant things, even in the interruptions. He wants us to know that even if it may seem small or hidden, now the kingdom of God is a really big place that we are all invited into. 
It's not something that can just sit at the periphery of our lives. Do you hear that? Like it's not something that can just sort of be out there that we do here and there and everywhere. But it's like the yeast in the dough that's meant to work its way through our whole lives into our whole reality. And I think that's what Jesus is trying to say to us. And so we say, come Lord Jesus, help us to see your kingdom and to respond to it. Make us your people so that we are fit for heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.